you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. (laughs) Uh, This past weekend, uh, we had uh, Gina's uh, father's 79th birthday, and family was there. And a while back, we were all kind of sitting around talking, and we were talking about old toys that we all remembered. And yeah. we were all talking about the G or the uh, Steve Austin bionic man doll, where you could look through the eye and yeah. his, you'd hit the button. His hand would do the karate chop and all that. Well, exactly. Gina found one uh, at the comic store. Colin works at and bought it for her brother. That's and right. she gave it to him Sunday and everybody, and mostly him, but everybody was laughing, but he was so shocked. He's like, Oh my God, I remember this. This was, he's just like, right. he, he was speechless. He was so, and I guess uh, his wife texted us later and said, Yeah, uh, we were driving home and he was looking through the eye all the way home, looking at everything, <laughs> like just like a little kid. You know, sometimes that's really wonderful when, when there's things that you thought you said goodbye to and then you get to kind of put it back into yeah. your life. It's not only the childlike wonder, it's just, you know, this is pretty cool even now. You know what I mean? To have, we, my older brother has always been very handy, you know, of all the various different kinds of intelligence that run in the family. We all have good memory, but, you know, maybe I'm more um, linguistic than others. Uh, he's always been very mechanical. We found him a Robbie the Robot. I don't, maybe that's even before your time. No, you know, I know, Robbie. Okay. It, 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 uh, one of those things that you could put it all together out of various different plastic gears and a plastic see-through casing so you could see how it's all working. And then I think it took batteries. It wasn't wind up, but he actually would like move and walk and, and have like a, something, you know, like went up and down on his head. And it was just fascinating as a kid to be like, wow, this is really complex. But if I follow the instructions, I can get this complex thing to kind of come to life. And just like with your brother, he was so delighted. And like for that Christmas, you know, when the whole family gets together, oftentimes we will all go off and read the new book or listen to the music. And as you might imagine, he was taking it apart and putting it together and just having the greatest time and grinning. You know what I mean? Where you're yeah. just, you're like a little puppy wagging its tail. You're just so happy. You don't know what to do with yourself. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of one of my life philosophies. And I know it's in direct conflict with many other people, but I think Adults sometimes lose that, not sometimes, most of the time, lose that wonder and enjoyment and the just sheer joy of enjoying simple things. You know, they get so wrapped up in life and work and family and being an adult, you know, and and then, then when people hit like 80 and you see them like walking on the sand in their bare feet and kicking at the waves and laughing, you're like, oh, that's so cute. It's like, well, why do we have to go from 15 (laughs) to 80 before we do that again you know we're allowed to do it again exactly that's so i often talk about that you know i i don't know i really do try to remember that that sense of childlike curiosity and wonder and and play and so when we're 
driving along and we're, we're just like, look at that sunset. I know everybody looks at sunsets, but it's like, and it isn't, oh, look at the ducky in the clouds. But there's just something about we go on many hikes and when you appreciate you know, wow, that lizard is a color I've never seen before. You know, look at the way the sun is. Like, we've seen things where the there was overcast, but the sun was breaking through that we couldn't see how, and it was making it look as if there was like a glow coming out of the Grand Canyon. And like, I don't know, we're here for that. We I don't know how often this happens, but I don't think often. Yeah. It looks like aliens are in there. It looks like something's landed and it's radiating outwards. And whenever we see cool phenomenon like that, instead of just kind of going on with life, we really try to make a point of pausing. You know, I never tasted anything like this before. Maybe it's sensory input that as you go on, you kind of, you get blasé, you've tasted and seen and heard many, many things, and it's difficult to have a truly novel experience. But then when you do, it's like, man, I who who knew that this is what kiwis tasted like? You read about kiwis. I don't think I really tasted a kiwi until I was like 40. Yeah. Anyway. You know what I mean? And to seek it out. It's not just to stumble onto it. I, I love going to places like, let's go to the Asian market and like, okay, what's that hand of Buddha thing? It looks weird. It looks alien. And yet it's not like coming out of the pod to grab my face. It's supposed to be edible. Let's get one and try whatever yes. the heck it is. Yes. And you go looking for a little, do you cook it? Do you just chop it up? And, you know, how do you even serve it? It's no. that little bit of cross-cultural pollination. For other people, this is like an everyday thing. Like they chop an onion. Like we chop an onion, they chop a hand of Buddha, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just... And, and other things, like the, the play aspect. I mean, I'm not saying I'm getting all my Star Wars figures out and pew, pew, and stories. I, not quite the same. Right. But things like sitting down there with the kids, pulling out a bunch of paper and a book and making like 50 different paper airplanes and seeing how they fly. And, you know, that's a great example. In fact, so we, as you, I think we, we don't do Christmas up in a huge way, like the Griswolds, we don't over decorate the house and stuff, but it's important to like, that's a, that's a, an interesting time where we make a point of going to Frankenmuth, Michigan and go to the big, uh, um, Bronner's, I think it's called, right? Yeah. It's this huge Christmas store and it doesn't have a couple ornaments. It has every ornament you could possibly imagine, every licensed thing, as well as every ethnicity, every, it's just the coolest place. Yeah. And so when you just go wandering out or we've gone up there any time with no agenda, except, Hey, let's go do Christmas. And then you find out, wow, I didn't know they could ever have a Lithuanian Christmas ornament that said Lynx Mukaledu, and now we have one. So we have, we're, we're both, you know, I'm Lithuanian German, Colleen is Italian uh, Irish. So now we have in the the Gaelic and the Italian, we have Christmas on our tree nice. in four different languages, which is kind of cool. And we got, you know, from the Christmas specials, they have all the, uh, like, bumbles bounce. We got Yukon Cornelius, we got the Grinch, nice. we got all kinds of stuff. The, um, Sometimes like that, going to, I love going to places where I don't know what I'm going to find, but if I'm going to find it anywhere, this is the cool place. So we just played mini golf this weekend. It, what, awesome. It's fun to segue. You know, we still love mini golf. I just haven't grown out of it. I think it's very cool to see how they put together this, you know, carpeted, but perturbed underneath via concrete. And they got the windmill of doom and they got the little castle that you got, you got a barn door that goes up and down. You got to shoot through having said that. So we really had a fun time and this new place uh, uh, BA Sweeties Golfland. They redid their greens with purple AstroTurf. Yeah. And so it's really striking and looks all just sparkly new. Having said that, BA Sweeties is a huge candy warehouse. <laughs> and like, honestly, 
I've been there before, and it's terrible for me being yeah. pre-diabetic because I can't go into the wall of diabetes. They have a wall where it's like from A to Z, every candy bar that's still being produced. Yeah, and, and I, I, I kind of had given up on ever seeing a bun bar, a zagnut. Uh, you know, there's various different local Zero. things that are Cleveland only, and. And they don't just have like the one bun bar. If there's multiple flavors, they have the maple and the chocolate fudge and whatever else. Vanilla and cream. So that kind of overwhelm. It's just the coolest thing in the world. Little tasty sodas. Like they have every kind of sarsaparilla, ginger beer, birch beer, you know, things that you thought like went away in 1870. You know what I mean? When right. they, they stopped having panther sweat in a dirty glass in the movies, you know, that kind of thing. And Mike and Ike, every flavor, Pez. I just, I love going there. Oh, yeah. Just, I guess, you know, it's like, it's hard to walk out of there without, oh, boy, I rent to, like, buy two so candy So, did bars they for- have any, like, uh, sugar-free or, uh, you know, stuff like that? Yes. I don't- okay. They do have a whole sugar-free section. And, in fact, when I when I mentioned it to, if I think it was my younger brother, his comment was, well, that's like kissing your sister, right? You know what I mean? If you're going to go to a place like this, <laughs> you're not going to get the cheater sugar-free stuff. You're going to get, like... Break your your fast for a little bit and get the whatchamacallit bar that you've been wanting and just have avoided for all this time. They have jelly bellies. I had no idea that, I mean, I've always seen they have a, a variety of jelly bellies in a jar, but then when you see that they have individual flavors all along this wall. 3,000 of them. Exactly. They got, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, have you ever seen these little charts? They have the thing where if you combine a yes. sour apple and a peanut butter, it tastes just, you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. this is like eating buttered popcorn. This is like eating. And so they, the, I, I love that there's like kind of a cult <laughs> behind it. There's a little science that it says, right. you wouldn't know it, but if you do this particular dotted purple one with this particular white one, that's a pina colada or something like that. That's really right. cool. <laughs> so, so two things. Uh, have you been to the Christmas Museum in Medina? I think um, it's Medina. No. Yeah. Um, in fact, we we have scheduled trips a number of times, and then out of circumstance, we're not able to make it. Yeah, it's all like I'm like the Christmas chalet or something. Yeah, yeah, it, castle. But it's not. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's Christmas castle. Yeah. It, it sounds fascinating because it's not only like we're talking about ornaments to buy. Like they've got every Christmas artifact from every movie, right? So yeah. they've got like the Christmas story house. Uh, they got the leg lamp and they got the, the dollhouse from, I don't know. I, you, have you been there? Cause you, yes. you know, I've only read about it. You've actually yes. seen the coolest uh, dollhouse in the world, the doll castle, right? Yeah. You know, that kind it's of- got, it's got a room with like all these old toys from the fifties. So it's like yeah. everywhere you, it's just stuffed and everywhere you look, there's the, the RV van that cousin Eddie had from Christmas vacation and okay. the rust on it is actually just painted. It, so it's not even real rust. Um, they had to go, simulate the yes. aging of it. That's very yeah. funny. Okay. You go through a big swirling ice tunnel to get into it. Very. Oh, um, and you can mm-hmm. eat. They got like the suit from Jingle All the Way that Schwarzenegger wore. Uh, exactly. New York, when they quit doing all the displays in the store windows, they, mm-hmm. these guys went and bought like 80% of them. So they have all these window displays from New York. That used um, to be what would come downtown Manhattan yeah. to see all of the things in Macy's and Gimbel's yep. and whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the coolest thing was you could go up these steps and visit Santa. And when you're done, he kicks you down the slide. <laughs> so <laughs> That, you know, part of me, 
doesn't want to do it in December when it's going to be crazy crowded right. and expensive and stuff like that. I kind of want to go now. We're about June going into July, halfway point of the year. I want to go there in shorts instead of in a parka. They might have limited hours, I guess, right? But they, I think they're open. Or maybe I this is where they're they their renovations and their additions. But you got there's some part of it that's got to be open. I, right? I think that's, they are, yeah. So, yeah, and the yeah. other thing I was going to mention over in, oh, is it, it's, it's Amish country, kind of the north, uh, east side, uh, you know, a little ways north of me here, uh, on the okay. way to like Geneva. Uh, but there's a little place called the, uh, oh, no, I can't remember. It's like a store at the end of the green or something like that. And it's in okay. Amish country. There's always buggies, but they have these coolers with about 400 different varieties of soda pop that you've never heard of and you can just mix and match and choose. And we like to go up there every now and then everyone's like, pick two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, honestly, that's, that's worth a road trip, you know, just to go into a place like we were saying, I've never had guava pineapple before. I'm curious as hell when I have, I, so early in my career, I regularly traveled for Arthur Anderson and then Pete Marwick. I was the consultant that I'd be in my suit during the day, but at night I would always be exploring, you know what I yeah. mean? It, and Finding that the various different places in the country, they have, you know, like maple soda up in the right. Northeast, or they have, you know, guacamole soda. And I'm, I'm making fun because really the things I found like honeybee, um, like a honey orange soda that was just, it's tasty as hell. Before I worried about sugar, it was like, man, I got to like buy a case of this and somehow get it on the plane with me to take it home. Because now that I've had it a couple of times here, I don't want to just say goodbye. I want to have some. Right. I, I love finding those kinds of places that like especially also any place that does that where they try to collect everything in a genre. Like you go to a bookstore, but it's a mystery bookstore. Right. And so instead of just being a section in the regular bookstore, they got everything A to Z. And it's very cool to be like, wow, I was looking to fill in my Earl Stanley Gardner collection. And if I'm going to do it anywhere, this right is here. the place. Now, they really are stocked in depth. <laughs> the mystery bookstore, they've got to have like a chalk outline on the floor. The, the, right. Exactly. <laughs> you can't not have that. Exactly. I know I've been to a, a mystery one, a science fiction one, you know, and boy, there's a cool store. What is it up in Toronto? Powell's is the one in Portland. So this is maybe Coles, I think. And it's, it's like, it's not a bookstore. It's a half a city block and two stories tall. So it's like a whole city block of books. And so I went in there and, and it just was like, instead of a humor section, they had an aisle and I got every mad paperback that I was missing. I got imports from far away, like they had, uh, you know, um, Man from Uncle or Doctor Who or Modesty Blaze British imports because Canada is part of the Commonwealth. And so I, I honestly walked out of there with like, you know, the plastic bags where it has little handles that come up and, and they're like cutting into my fingers because they're heavy and, and it's tight. And I'm like, I, I hope I can find public trend because I can't walk this home. I really will like cut circulation off into my fingers. <laughs> fingers are just, but I didn't want to leave anything behind. When am I, this was when I was at Geeking It Up, a Macworld in Toronto. I think it might have been the only one that ever took place, but I, I drove up from Chicago to there. It was really cool. Had the chance in my laser to hit the button that changed my car from miles per hour to kilometers per hour. <laughs> <laughs> Only time I ever had a chance to use that feature. So, so having said that, it was just, I got a chance to explore Toronto and kept finding those kinds of places, a place called Super Snail. That was a big comic book store. And, and I, and actually, have you ever heard of the Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Animation Festivals? 
They've been doing these for like 40 years. They collect all the best of animation shorts. I first discovered them in college, if I remember right. So this would have been, you know, between 77 and 83. Well, in Toronto is where Spike and Mike do this every year live. They show the films. They actually commentate them and stuff like that. And exactly the time that I was there was coincidentally exactly when that was going on. And it just was like, I don't know, silly to say a dream come true. But I just love that. Like, if there's 52 weeks out of the year, I only had a 2% chance of having happening to be there. And, right. and yet every macro thing that I was doing geeky during the day, virtually every night, I got a chance to be like, I'm, this is the coolest thing in the world and I'll never be here again. So yes, let's get every book we need. Let's get all the um, comic books that I, I, won't, right. I won't see otherwise, you know, like just all kinds of British stuff, warrior magazines, things that I had maybe a, a, a copy or two of. And then I saw, all the back issues. So let's get all the, where here it was called Miracle Man. In Britain, it was called Marvel Man. And so, you know what I mean? I'm just like, you start going through things and your mind is racing with, so what What would I look for if I had a chance to plan instead of stumbling it onto this? I would hate to get out of here and say, when I get home, oh, I should have looked for Modesty Blaze or right. whatever it might be. It, boy, did I spend money. It was terrible. <laughs> and yet, where where would I when would I ever get that chance again? This is of course before the internet, before you could just hop on not only Amazon but Amazon.co.uk and find everything on an import basis. I have some Thai comic books now because they have a Thailand version. It wasn't wow. anywhere near as easy. It was a big treasure hunt back then. Yeah, you know, yeah. so some of the fun again. I think our theme today is wonder and fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I I know this is. You know, when we were first getting to know each other, I remember one of the coolest things that I liked about you and your family was we were doing brain freeze. We were doing the thing where I put together a little tour of ice cream stores throughout right. Ohio and meeting the various different local Mensa groups. And it was just kind of a fun thing to do. Well, you made a point of not just doing the brain freeze thing, but like, oh, no, there's a really good used bookstore right around here. And we're going to go and do our little, you know, our right. investigation because your whole family are all good readers and, and they'll, they'll each go to their favorite sections and right. et cetera. And I just was like, well, good for you that you looked ahead, that you knew that this is a place you could explore. I, Whenever I was in any kind of city that I'd never been in before, that's kind of what I would always do is, is there a bookstore? Is there a music store that I'm going to find things there just out of the locality that I might not have stumbled onto before? So when I was in Macworld early for San, in San Francisco for the first couple of years, every year was a big exploration of San Francisco. I had never spent any time there, but they have good public transit and I have legs. And so I was just, I was going everywhere. <laughs> and the first time that I discovered, um, there Amoeba, Amoeba records was like, you know, most music stores are a little store facing in a mall or something like that. This place was a former bowling alley that had, section after section after table after everything I, and so i i just another place where without trying to i like bought bags and boxes and <laughs> hundreds of dollars of cds like they had a whole section of comedy albums and so like you know i filled in i think i already had all the bill cosby's i needed but i know i needed a couple fire sign theater or whatever else in san francisco very important that exactly that's where they would have them you know what i mean they had a whole section of tribute albums nice. and this is kind of corny because you know i don't know that i really think that uh they're great and yet for certain bands you always want to think of well what if somebody else did this yeah. Rush song this emerson lake and palmer song and i i must have bought 20. I'm not kidding. And, you know, and they had good prices. So I have this magic number in my mind. If I can get a CD for like less than seven bucks, then it's worth it. It has, right. it has stopped me from buying things at 15 and 20, which is good. I outweigh them. But just 
man, I honestly, I must've bought like 20 of here's one from, like I said, from rush from, um, but places I didn't even know they have enough of a following that they got lots of people to do their own versions. Like right. there was a Jethro Tull one. There was a Jethro Tull Christmas one. Wow. Like, Jethro Tull. You know I mean? That's interesting. It was just the coolest thing. And <laughs> well, some of the, the there was a, a fad about 15, 20 years ago where there's a lot of tribute albums, but they were all like Baroque string quartets, but it was like Rush and Metallica and stuff. And those, some of those exactly. were really cool. I, I honestly, that is often what I do play. Like come the holiday season and stuff like that. I like Blackmore's Night, where he abandoned the electric guitar and they just did Renaissance Fair music. And That's still, cool. he's an incredibly skilled player, so it's complex. And and her Candace Night, I think, you know, a really nice, haunting kind of Renaissance Fair voice. And and but just that, you know, it's cool when there is a trend like that. I do try to okay before these go away, before these all get like, you know, I don't know, just sometimes they don't even go to into the cutout bins they just go into the landfill i don't know what yeah. happens there but not everything stays around for a long time so i have oftentimes really jumped on that trend feeling a little foolish because i'm not usually a trend following guy but it was more like a strike while the iron is hot type thing you know i might never see these again right well my absolute favorite one because there was also like a bluegrass fad where like all these bluegrass bands oh, were doing man. things but there was one that was uh, with van halen and what made it special was David Lee Roth actually helped produce it, and he appeared on like two or three of the songs. So um, it was their blessing then, exactly. Yeah. yeah so it yeah. was called Strumming with the Devil, and <laughs> it is so good. I've never heard of that one. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you enjoy Van Halen, mm-hmm. uh, I've got several bluegrass tribute covers, and it sounds like bluegrass muzak, and it's just no life to it. It's just kind of bland. But these yeah. sound really good, and they're very listenable. Um, and Sounds if funny. you want something a little different. Uh, Absolutely. So I know I've seen it of the week. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that, so I really was strumming with the devil. I mean, even that title makes me go, I, yeah. I just I want it. I want to have this album. Yeah, <laughs> I still call them albums, which is another thing that is a little datey for me. Spin the I, record I, for I, me. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a video for ACDC's Thunderstruck where it's done as like that, a string band. They got a guy on jug. They got a guy on like spoons the, on his. Steven Seagal, right? Steven Seagal. Is that, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. And, and like, of course, you know, you need to be a proficient guitarist to be able to do the, you know what I mean? You got all the arpeggiation of it. Like, and they, and to continue that for 10 minutes, it's not easy. And yeah, no. it's really fun. <laughs> is that the one where he has the hammer and he hits the anvil goes dunk, dunk. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that's how they get the <laughs> yeah. first time I ever saw that done. I saw Kansas in concert and it was right where I think point of no return was out. And there's, there's a song, at least one song where that's what they did. They had an anvil in center stage and Robbie Steinhardt takes the big hammer and, and does that. And it's really like a resonant metal hammer yeah. and anvil. So it exploded off the stage with this noise. It was really effective. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when I was in middle school, uh, band and we actually had a, um, a, a um, music writer write a song dedicated to our band. Our band director and him were really good friends and he was a really big that? writer. And so we have this yeah. song that's still out there, still played by middle schools written for our band specifically, but we played it obviously. And one of it was you had to have a, um, the brake drum from a, a car and you would hit it with a little mallet. Well, it, that we got our band director was so specific. It had to be a particular 
brake drum with the right metal, the right size to get the right tone that fit in with the rest of it, not just which what he planned exactly. He wrote, so, yeah. Us drummers and him actually went to several um, junkyards to find the right car to rip this off of and get the right. <laughs> break drum to hit with our mallet that's very cool you know i, I think i might have mentioned when i was in college i i uh worked I, so i had my uh, re, uh, an assistantship at the office of resource analysis and i worked with a guy named phil that was really a fantastic music guy but he had kind of had to put that part of his life on hold because he got married had kids had to be a responsible citizen and then we got to talking i was doing things with um the, in the music building where people didn't care about having lab time from like two to six in the morning. You know what I mean? No, no, no self-respecting sane adult wants to dwell because that was available. I could have it. And it was, I, I was doing, I really don't have any musical training. And so he and I would often talk about, you know, I'm doing things, trying things that are like, if someone, if I knew what I was doing, it would have been wrong. That's not how you make a note that's not that's not a musical theory and that's not how you kind of bring things back to the main theme the main motif right so having said that we were doing he and i would talk about that he loved doing that kind of experimentation he did found sounds of all kind where like he went to the bleachers at a football stadium and if you like use a big um rubber mallet and, and hit the end of one yeah. it does like this cool <laughs> Doppler effect sound, and then you capture that with a mic, and then when you put that into a song, or like we did things with um, uh, synthesizing and sampling, where you could gate various different sounds with notes on a keyboard, right, and right. so the sound of a fire crackling, not continuously, but like <laughs> it was really unsettling and disruptive, but it was a natural sound, so it wasn't synthesized fake sounding right. I and mean, that's when they were first doing that you could actually not just do tone generation but that you could do that kind of sampling and, and feed it so man i just i'm i still to this day like he, i think we, the way we've talked about it before is you know when they talk about macarthur grants genius grants where you want to have somebody be able to put the concerns of the world aside so that they could really pursue their muse pursue their brilliance and do something cool I always thought, you know, when I get to be a, a scabillionaire, I want to like just say, so Phil, you know, how about if you take five years off and do the cool things you've always wanted yeah. to do because you deserve so much that opportunity. Yeah. So that is a cool I, dream. Yeah. You know, so I <laughs> it begs, I got to ask, you do know how they created the, uh, the laser fight sounds, the, the guns in Star Wars, right? No. It, it, so <gasps> really? it must be some is it like one of those, I know the lion roar is not just a lion roaring. It's a combination of like yeah. five different animals. It is, is it a similar thing? It's, it's a similar. bug so, <laughs> so the guy that did all the sound effects for Star Wars made himself so famous because of where he went and got all those sounds. Because like you said, it was before all the digital stuff. So he yeah. and his team literally just walked around cities and forests and everywhere else they could think of getting everything they saw to make noise of some sort. So the laser sounds in Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, uh, the foam poles, the electric poles, and then they have sure. the guide wire coming off to keep it stable. He would what hit that, that and record it. How that's, cool is that? That's the, yeah. you know, when people are, when stormtroopers are shooting and missing, that's the sound you hear. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because it's got to be kind of metallic. You know, I, yeah. I've done enough we could so much this is a whole bunch of sessions that we could geek it out when i first started to experiment with this and looking at waveforms of sounds and seeing why they sound as they do that wood is different than metal and glass is different than, you know what i mean yeah. he must have had some idea of 
this is what's going to sound like a transfer of power, something breaking through the air. And, and it's got that Doppler effect, like you said. Where it goes to one end and comes back. Exactly yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. So, so this, this is one thing as a drummer. Now, my middle school band director was a tyrant. He was, a, uh, he was like a Marine drill sergeant, and he would probably get thrown in jail nowadays for some of the stuff. <laughs> They made a movie about a guy like that. Have you heard? You remember That's this the, with J.K. The, the drummer no. one. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, yes. Whip, Whiplash, I think, right? There you um, go, exactly. <laughs> but so he was kind of like that. But afterwards, this is, you know, it, it was a little bit of toughen up or get out. And I'm yeah. glad I went through it because to this day, I feel there are certain traits I developed through that that I think make me a better person uh, than okay. I would have been. So, uh, you know, uh-huh. but. Um, he always, when we played wood blocks, we, or, uh, the, the, oh, I forget what they're called, little cylinders of wood and we'd hit them. You always see people hold it and they go clack, clack. And it drives me crazy because you don't get the resonance from it. We had to hold it in our hands. So we had a little cavity underneath. So when you right. hit it, you'd get that, uh, cave echo type effect from your hand okay. and it would come out much stronger rather than exactly. just like, tick, tick, hold it tight. It's an automatic dampener. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, one of the things that drives me crazy. People just don't do it right. <laughs> that's funny. Which, that's, you know, go ahead. No, it just that, that kind of thing of going through adversity, you know, people talk about kind of like the, the Marine drill sergeant type thing. And yet almost always when they get to the other side, unless the guy really is a sadist and really was just doing it to be a jerk as opposed to for a purpose, people really do have good memories of, I found out what I could do. I found yeah. out what I could survive. I, I thought I wasn't that tough. And yet there I was standing after doing the, these exercises, these, you know, how strong am I? How resilient am I? That kind of thing. Right. So sometimes pushing people kind of like, you know, Apocalypse, the comic book character, that if you're looking for survival of the fittest, somebody has to administer that. The world most of the time will do it. But if you're really looking for, I think the world's going to end. And I got to make sure that the thousand people in the life raft that we're going to send to another world really are the best of humanity. Right. So you got to do a weaning exercise. You got to do a weeding out exercise. You know what and I mean? And there's a lot <laughs> of uh, uh, dissident thinking towards that type of thing about, you know, and a lot of and I have a problem with a lot of parents, their kid can never fail. Their kid can never hit adversity. They must always be a medal. They must always get uh, recognition for, you know, doing a lackluster job. And, and now we get, uh, heck, this whole generation, these kids, you can't tell me what to do. I know what's best and I'm moving out and, oh my God, I'm too afraid of the world. Right. You know, so, well, well, (laughs) Speaking of Star Wars and all the other things, you got to tell me about the Pulp Con or Pulp Fest that you went to. Right. It, so it was the first time that it was in, in Cleveland. There have been things in Pittsburgh, Detroit, maybe you know, other satellite cities to Cleveland, if you will. And, and so I've gone to a couple in Chicago. You know, Chicago has a really strong pulp scene. So for our listeners, you know, pulps are what came before comic books, as opposed to the, the illustrated, you know, the se- sequential art nature of it. They were called pulps because they were in the 30s and 40s and maybe even back into the 20s, printed on very, very cheap paper, but they were um, stories for the masses. You could get things for 10 cents that were like a main story and five subsidiary stories. And they're known for their being, they're very adventurous. They're sometimes lurid. The covers, you know, if you've got a hundred pulps on the stand, you can't just have, um, 
you have to do something that'll catch people's eyes. Right. So all of the detective novels were, of course, always the damsel in distress and the tough guy with a gun. The science uh, fiction things were always, you know, the, the craziest aliens and the whatever right. damage could be. It, it so, was very quickly written stories most of the time because exactly. they had to churn out like, you know, three, four a week for all you of got, them like, to make a, a living. Word, and they, you know, if you're going to write a 120,000 word novel, Again and again and again. So some of them are, are like, there's even, I love Doc Savage. He's one of yeah. my heroes from back to 33 to 45. And there's even Lester Dent, who was the uh, pen name was Kenneth Robeson. He actually had kind of a, a formula for, here's how I write a Doc Savage story. And they never seemed straightjacketed to me because the first thing you do is think of, an interesting new villain, interesting new technology, interesting new land to explore. And then things roll out of that, that even if it proceeds to, okay, this is where Doc and his men get captured. And man, they really got it in the neck. How are they going to get it out of this one? But so having said that, um, I loved discovering those when I was young because yeah. um, Bantam and Lancer were at various other places were reprinting various of the pulps now as paperbacks so you could get doc savages and shadows and tarzan and uh, operator g8 and like you know some of them everybody knows who tarzan is some of these things their time has kind of passed but they've been revived so you still do get tarzan and john carter right. of mars going on as science fiction um i kept discovering conan is a great example of they were first published in like weird tales and, and right. you know what i mean robert e howard there aren't there's only so many of those that were written sometimes by the original authors but back then it was big publishing houses like street and smith and they owned the rights to these characters they were all done as work for hire and so they regularly had multiple authors that would be contributing maybe like doc savage in the shadow had a single author that did 90 percent of them but other places it was kind of a rotating crew of make it seem that it's always this character right. you know we're going to go with that so um when i as i was discovering those it was like wow you know th and this is interesting I was also reading a lot of men's fiction at the time, and they they often were like, no, Mac Boland, the executioner, the war against the mafia, a lot of guns, a lot of more modern sensibility. But, you know, going back to those 30s and 40s when there still were um, areas of the world that had not been explored, you really could say, what if there's a secret civilization in the Andes or underground or under the sea? Or and there's there's creatures still to be discovered and science was advancing so that like especially I always make the Doc Savage references they had cool things in there early on about we don't know anything about ultraviolet light but we know that like aspirin glows or that you know what I mean a Vaseline glows and so how would they leave secret messages to each other write something in Vaseline that unless the villain has an ultraviolet light in his pocket they're not going to see this clear smear on something whereas it would be you know. Anyway, right. Right. jet planes were new. Like you, you read old Doc Savages and they make references to the Great War because you know what? There was only World War One and they didn't call it World War One because they didn't know there's going to be World War Two. <laughs> right. So they called it the Great War. And and I just I love that sense of time and of place when you read about the New York of Doc Savage stories. And he, he was in a building that was very obviously the Empire State Building, though they never called it that. And maybe it could have been the Chrysler Building, but you know what I mean? And like the first auto gyro, they, there was competing technologies for helicopter versus auto gyro. And I just, I loved seeing the future being created in these books and then see, well, how much of that came true? You know what I mean? They, he used to talk about how there was, um, uh, if you got shot, 
that you could do like a bullet extraction and then some kind of plastic sealing of the wound, not sutures. And like just now we're getting to, we found the materials that have the tensile strength and all that kind of stuff to where for, for battle, you really have sulfur drugs that you used to rub into your wounds back in World War One before we knew all about penicillin. Now we've got miracle drugs and Doc and the Shadow and, and Operator, uh, uh, they all, out of science fiction speculation, foretold the world. And so, so having, I know that's, so <laughs> these are all still out there in some ways. The pulps themselves, really hard to find because they were made on really cheap paper. And what happens to cheap paper over the course of 80 years? It rots, it goes, it chips, it they collected a whole bunch of it for the paper drives that were in World War II. So finding original copies of all those Doc Savages and, and all the other pulp shadows, Argosy with Tarzan and stuff, it's really tough and really expensive. And I never got into collecting it because when I was first doing both pulps and comic books, I could get a comic book for a buck. A pulp cost 10 bucks. I just did that thing of I can get 10 for one. Right. And so it's really hard to find them. But because so many of them have been reprinted. And what's wonderful and interesting, it's not only been reprinted in like the Bantam paperbacks, various different um, companies have over the course of time bought the rights from the original Street and Smith or Condé Nast or whatever else it might be. And then they put out like all the docs, 181 of them, if I remember right. And they put them out like two to an issue and that kind of stuff. So you can find them in various different forms. And I, I go in there and there's probably, I don't know, it's 80% older folks like me who even know that these things exist and have <laughs> such affection for them. But there's some teens that have been pulled into it because they like, like I did when I was young, reading about these. Wow, these are really cool stories, no matter that it's not everybody's got a cell phone. There, there's a whole different world in, in these world in these books. Right. Um, so I, I every it's a, mostly a dealer's room. I've been to ones where they also have programs, like for instance, the one coming up in Pittsburgh in September, maybe usually is, July, but I think it's September this year. Thank you. You're right. It's, it's got this year, the focus is on the shadow. And so they've got all kinds of like shadow scholars and, and it wasn't only the pulps. It was the radio program. It was the TV, That's whatever cool. they've done to have it be in various different media. Um, and, and guys that like they've read the shadow is something like 640. It's an amazing, he was really prolific and it went on for forever and it was actually being published like two a month. So this guy was writing a complete adventure every two weeks. Like it's hard to imagine his fingers not bursting into flame on an old manual. He didn't even have dictation. Typewriter. Yeah. So, um, I love that where you can go and like, if you want to know everything about the shadow, this is going to be the place to do it because they've got the, the people that know the most about the shadow in all the world are going to be at this one conclave. And I, I really want to go just for that. I don't care about hitting the dealer's room and shopping. I care about going and learning all, all of that. I love immersive activities like that. Right. So this one here at the Double Tree near uh, Crocker Park Mall, well, I didn't think there was any programming. It was a big dealer's room. But as you might imagine, as you go around, you have a nice conversation with everybody. You know, when you find something, the old Ace Doubles, where it was, you know, they had two novels and it, you kind of flipped the book right, over right, and yeah. going in. And if, you know, like, if you find a special thing, like, boy, there was a, um, having said I love how much I love Doc Savage, at one point, Philip Jose Farmer wrote continuations of Doc Savage in the Shadow and made a whole mythology. So the Wold Newton universe, another one we could have a whole hour to talk about yeah. if you're willing to look it's, it's pretty much his concept of, at one point, a comet, 
appeared in the sky over Wold, England, and it affected everybody that lived in the town. They all got enhanced. And from that event, all of today's modern heroes sprang. And because there's time travel involved, you also get that everybody is related, that Doc Savage and Tarzan are like cousins, and that they really are, you know, the, the Scarlet Pimpernel and uh, the Green Hornet. They have this wonderful family tree, convoluted. Of course, there's a terrible relationship, incestuous relationship, science fiction relationship. Oh, you made it with an alien or whatever. But it's <laughs> it the, the fact that people keep finding ways to play with the continuity of it. Like when you can explain, well, here's how Sherlock Holmes and Mycroft were like, you know, they really are related to Moriarty. Or, and and I'm, I'm, I'm blathering. There's right. much more better things than what I'm saying that they've really done well. But it's the whole concept of retconning where you think you've read all of the stories of the, the destroyer, Remo Williams. Well, where did Chien from Korea, that was his mentor, how does that relate to the rest of the world that it isn't just only Western culture? It's that you find out that um, uh, Alan Quartermain, who was in a series of books, you know, Professor Challenger and Exploring for Gold right. and et cetera, et cetera, that they're all somehow interrelated and it's really cool. So having said that, when you find something like Lord of the Trees and the Mad Goblin, it was an ace double that was the continuation Tarzan adventure and the continuation Doc adventure. And the talk about the Nine, the secret society that really runs everything, kind of like the Illuminatus. It's an amazing, like a white dwarf concentration of pulp coolness <laughs> in this one book. And like, when there was a time when I was really on, on the treasure hunt, how do I have so much stuff? It's because I was regularly hitting these kinds of stores and Comic-Cons right. and Pulp-Cons. And there was a time if I would have come into a place that had a whole rack of Doc Savage books, I would have pulled on my want list and I was like, oh my God, secret in the skies and in good condition. I so much need this. How much am I willing to pay? Uh, more than is sane. And yet right. I'm still going to get it because I've never seen it before. A lot of times it's not only how good it is, it's that it's rare, it's scarce. And if you let it go, it really might never come into your, right, your grasp right. again. So that little thing, I got a chance to re-experience that, man, there was a time when I just would have been kneeling under the tables, going through every box and rack, because this guy seemed <laughs> to have done that. And I'm, I'm making a little stack, and when someone comes near my stack, I'm be like, Rrr. you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I picked those out. Those are no longer for sale. Those are in my buy pot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I, I had a chance. There's a couple of guys that are doing new pulps. Yeah. Um, John uh, Bruning, who I think I've mentioned John before. John Bruning and Jim Beard with Flinch. Exactly. I've, I've talked to both of them. There you go. They had a whole table there with their various different things. And I really like uh, John Bruning's uh, Midnight Guardian series. Yeah. And they have, you know, they have uh, detective and romance and science fiction, various different things that they've captured the various different main genres of the pulps. And I just love that someone is, I, I bought a whole series. I bought uh, uh, Captain Hawkland from a guy at Millhouse, Charles Millhouse, if I remember correctly, that it was, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before. You pick one up, the cover looks great. The pull quote is funny. The the uh, uh, the concept of the series that he's going various different places in the world, ooh, various Doc Savage things. And it, the, the writer and his wife were both so charming and like happy to talk about it and they answered questions in not just a yes no way but like well how i came to do it and i just i'll take all eight <laughs> you know what i mean i and i really intended to go there to not spend any money i was just gonna, like i'm gonna find certain treasures and yet i love being a little bit the medici the sponsor of 
art coming into the world. And and so my chance to like, well, I helped him out a little bit. I bought all eight of his books and hopefully that made for a nice dinner for them that evening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and encouraged right. him to keep writing. Um, and I did that for a couple other writers and vendors that I just found specific treasure, nothing that I was looking for, but just things that caught my eye and said, I'll give this a try for eight bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, that kind of thing. I, I love that. I love, um, just going in, you know, and it's worth a $10 bet. What isn't, what, what, what cool looking book isn't worth when (laughs) when it costs $5 to get like a coffee from Starbucks, then, you know, it puts things in perspective. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, do you have this? I, I like, so Colleen and I occasionally go out for dinner and even for nice dinner. But one of the things that, that weirds me out a little bit is like, I go out for a hundred dollar dinner and I'm like, okay, was this five pizzas, five twenty? Right, exactly. Pizza? You know what I mean? I get a lot of pleasure out of a good deep dish pizza. And was this 40 $2 and 50 cent Big Macs. I have that weird scale in my mind. And, I, and I agree. So Big Mac is hardly gourmet. It's more gourmand. You know, how many of these can I stuff <laughs> into my maw? But every time I have a Big Mac, I enjoy it. It's just the right combination of sauce and meat and cheese and flavor and bun and whatever else. I know that's a silly thing, but it's kind of a, a perfect food to me. I, I, there's there every time I don't want a Big Mac if I'm hungry. Nope. I like them. So having said that, like you said, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking at books, you know, like I said, whatever this thing is about having $7 CDs or maybe books and other things, somehow that's the place at which I'll just take a shot at it. When, when I used to haunt the cutout bins and they were like seven and five and $3, there's all kinds of man finding old David Bowie albums for like three bucks a pop. That's an amazing bargain yeah. of quality music and experimentation and everything for three bucks. Yeah. And then having said, so I filled in Santana and David Bowie and all kinds of things when they were first putting them out as cutouts because the back catalogs weren't selling that well and they didn't really have uh, an avenue for getting things out of the warehouse back then. And having said that, I've come across albums a hundred times that like Pablo Cruz for a dollar. No, it's not even worth a dollar. I'm not buying Pablo Cruz. I'm just not doing it. So (laughs) It's funny because I I do the same thing. And I've got certain things that I'll spend money on. Like we'll go to the exchange and I'll walk out of there with a whole stack of $2.50 DVDs and I'll spend 50 bucks. But then we'll like be at the comic store and I'll, I'll see a figure uh, Star Wars figure that I used to have and it's complete yeah. has the gun has the little uh, clothing or whatever and I'm like wow I haven't seen one of those forever brings up <laughs> and Gina's like well go get it I'm like are you kidding it's $30 she's like so what you just spent $50 on books or movies or comics like, yeah. but the difference is I can enjoy those books and comics for hours and multiple times whereas figures to me now get set on a shelf and I've got enough crap on shelves. So yeah, it, I like yeah. seeing it, but I don't want to spend the money. I could, you know, but if I get one, then I'm going one another and another. And pretty soon I spent $500 on a bunch of figures that sit on a shelf. Yes. And to me, that's not worth it. Colleen and I have talked about that. I, I'm not really so addicted that I have to have everything, but I have accumulated a lot of stuff because I kept finding bargains. I kept finding right. reasonable yes. stuff. <laughs> That's the problem. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, but then like that, if I, uh, there's been occasions like, you know, I, oh, wow. Number 19, Pirate of the Pacific was a Doc Savage that I had looked for forever. It was the last one that I needed. And having spent, you know, 50 cents a buck on all kinds of things, I think I found it from a bookstore in Kansas City. 
and it was like six or seven bucks. And I'm like, the cover price is 45 or 50 cents. They used to have 45 cent cover price, which is right. what an interesting thing that is. And like, am I really going to give this guy 10 times what it was published 12 times? And yet the scarcity to me was right. I just had never seen it. He's got a copy in good condition. And occasionally from that, from filling in the collection, having one to end, I've made foolish out of characteristic purchases because <laughs> yeah. I could have that big satisfaction of, I really have them all. I have right. every Dr. Savage published up till now, you know? So right. yeah, <laughs> well, I agree. Day- <laughs> and and uh, so besides Flinch books, the other yeah. one that's modern that I, I follow a bit is Moonstone books. Were they there? Okay. Did you see them? I, 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 don't, I don't remember seeing them. So what, what uh, titles or things would there have been? Uh, well, that I, maybe I what, what attracted me to them, they've produced some, modern of their own pulp type heroes and stuff. They've got some books, but they also have the license to Kolchak. So they've got uh, adventures with Kolchak and they've got Night Stalker and the Night Strangler and then everything on from there. That's in my Netflix queue, by the way, all the Kolchaks that were made with Darren McGavin. I I don't watch them binge wise, but I occasionally will throw one on because it's like, it's so much, this is where X-Files came from. This yeah. is where every episodic supernatural, this is where those things came from, was right. him being the monster of the week. Right. You know what I mean? And, so. <laughs> you know, he guest starred on an episode of X-Files. I do remember that. Yeah. It, it was one of those, like, and it was, like, the, the name is something along the lines of, whatever happened to, you know, Bob Crudup or something like something, that? Yeah, know? Mulder went and talked to him about an old case or something. Okay. So that, what a nice homage to yeah. bring his investigative journalist character into that supernatural world. That's, yeah. No, X-Files world. X-Files Sorry. world, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> that, that was kind of cool. So with all this pulp fiction and the memories and the fun and wonder, uh, you mentioned Ready Player One because you just re-saw the movie again. Exactly. You know, I, I, don't, I don't mention this often enough, and I just kind of stumbled onto it again, and I was like reacquainted with, man, this is great. You know, for anybody who's never read the book, and I really would recommend reading the book yes. as well as seeing the movie, it's such a wonderful distillation of people like you and me who grew up with all this pop culture, everything, all of this, everything, video games and comic books and movies and all that stuff. And it's, you know, put into the future where um, a uh, brilliant video game designer has created a place called the Oasis that is where everybody can go and have like a really immersive kind of lose yourself, put your real life to be in here type thing. But as you might imagine, it echoes the real world in terms of there's bad guys that are really wanting to take it over. The brilliant video game designer died, but he set a last quest where if you, if you win this quest, if you find the various different keys and all that kind of stuff, you get to be the owner of the Oasis. You get to be in God mode, if you will. And, and so the travails of all of this to be like Steven Spielberg, uh, I, th- I think produced it and maybe directed it as well, but he's the guy that could go to every single studio and video game producer and everybody and say, I need to borrow the rights for King Kong for a moment. I need to borrow your Final Fantasy. Everybody is in this movie. And if yeah. there was a few that aren't, I didn't notice because I wasn't yeah. looking for who's not in it. I was goggling over Oh my God! They and really it's, have, and it's not just. <laughs> well, the book is definitely 
uh, excellent. And, and because there's so many things they mention in there, even down to the little things like the, the, the quarter for the video games and they have an old arcade and you get the one that's not working. And, you know, there's just all these things that you chuckle about, but it's like Easter egg after Easter egg, after Easter egg, uh, little sayings and everything. And the movie captures that that and that's the important part it captures the feeling it captures the whole nostalgia the but with the sci-fi and how things are different and without going one for one with the book because there's stuff in the book not in the movie and they changed a few things in the movie exactly but the overall feel and the overall adventure is right there and it's it's right and i think ernest klein was part of making the movie so any rewrites and stuff he was part of was I saw them like, I love that where the executive producer credit or whatever, but it's also, he's very much the creative consultant. And instead of it being, all right, they bought a Stephen King book and then totally screwed it up. But no, <laughs> Stephen Spielberg respected him enough to say, make sure that the tone, that what we're doing here is what you would have wanted to see if you had a chance to, to realize this as a movie. And it really does, whatever they put it in left out, it's like, it's all improved if you will it really is that it, it the, fits the, the big screen movie rather than exactly. a small screen print <laughs> was, yeah. and, and it's you know it's kind of funny there there really is not only nostalgia as you were saying but like you know the extrapolation into the future of what if people start like world the real world kind of sucks if i just you know put on my vr headset and i can go where i'm the hero i'm the uh right. the heroine um that it really would be intoxicating that people would start to say i'm just going to do enough to keep like myself fed and keep the power on and i'm going to spend all my time as my idealized self so there's really cool things about the avatar idea you know what i mean like who would you be if you could be and if you want to um play different characters you know you have to have that wonderful mental flexibility of being able to separate between them and and you know classic you know on the internet nobody knows you're a dog they have all kinds of characters you find out wow you're like the toughest 11 year old i've ever known you right. know what i mean right. and the, the kid and so, that did the the martial arts ninja fighting and he was exactly. like two feet tall in real life that's right exactly and, <laughs> and i loved it too because it was a grand adventure it was very epic and it was fun yep. with all the 80s references 90s and 70s in there a bit and then yep. you still got that very sci-fi moralistic message of hey don't miss your real life. Don't miss the real world. And they like Absolutely. shut it down for a little while. You got to eat. You got to, yeah. you know, you got to be out there like relationships. You know what I mean? If you're, you're falling in love with someone's avatar, maybe who you should be falling in love with is the real guy right. or gal behind them and stuff like that. And I just, I found it charming and like, and it's one of those, like, I want to go watch it again because I really want to like, see everything i want to be it's, like so there's oh. battle scenes where everybody in the universe is in this battle scene crazy I kind of want to see all those char- <laughs> yes all the characters that i and it was interesting i don't know that i'm a big uh I, I played lots of arcade games but i was never a big video game at home type person because there were too many consoles to get and i know that having a bit of an addictive personality i didn't want to have to get six different consoles so that i could that, play every single game that's why you always wait till the end of the life cycle and buy a used one that's what i've always done you're exactly right <laughs> if i was being smart i'd be like hey while well, everybody else is abandoning it they haven't stopped being a great play right and so you pick up cartridges for a buck and a machine for 30 instead of 300 or whatever whatever the right. real numbers are but i just i can i could see how um it really the that 
if anything, it's a big reply to all the parents that were worried about, you know, our video games going to wreck Billy. Well, they have they have the addictive possibility. And we, I remember when I talked about Plato, I talked about that. It was some of the first times yeah. I saw signs of computer addiction that sometimes you fall into a, a different world. And that world is so fun that you don't come out of it and take care of your schooling and your grades right, and stuff right. like that. Well, and so they, they, as you said, they talked about that, that, that sometimes real world experiences really are the best and that. Um, I, I just, I liked the fact that it didn't turn away from any of those things. They didn't idealize anything. They talked about, here's the really great thing about it, but then here's, you know, here's the downside. You know, like, wow, you can't, you gotta, you gotta come out of it to go to the bathroom. You know what I, I mean? I, gotta... <laughs> I love the way they showed that it wasn't just a, um, oh, well, the real world's much better. They realized that they were hiding from their real selves. They didn't have the confidence in their real selves and they were afraid so they could be anything they want. But then when they discovered each other in the real world, they were very accepting of each other and they appreciated each other no matter what. And I think, you know, that that could have been done a lot differently and not as well. It was just that way it was done is so, so good, you know, in in general. Exactly. And And given ready player two is about to come out. I kind of like wait, you know what I mean? Yeah, I really yeah. have to like read the hell out of that book. And <laughs> when we saw the movie, I had already read the book. Gina had not, but we saw the movie. And speaking of fun and wonder, she, yeah. if, as long as she's had a rough year, but when she's yeah. in a better mood, in a better place, going to see movies with her can be so much fun. That one particularly, she was cheering and shouting and, and like something, yeah. you know, you get to this big, like, uh, in the movie, a, a cliffhanger, what's about to happen. And she turned to me with eyes like, oh, what are they going to do? You know, and, and just like a little kid. And then so at, the, yes. at the main battle at the end, when the Iron Giant came over the hill, she literally went, yes, and was cheering <laughs> in the theater. Uh, if she does exactly. that with watching stuff on TV, like all the time here, you know, she'll yeah. cheer and she claps. And we went and saw like Rambo. I mean, she's got her, she's got her, ghetto violent side because we went and saw Rambo and the last right. movie and at the end when he's really just going all out and things right. are blowing up and those guys are just getting decimated she's like yeah, yeah kick their ass and she's just exactly cheering right. and kill this guy a lot yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> we, we just saw a video last night the local McDonald's some crazy lady went in there and demanded something and the workers told her no. And she like went behind the counter and grabbed what she wanted. And while the workers oh, tried to stop her, she punched the worker and, and stuff oh, like man. that. Uh, I'm like, uh, that was you at one point, wasn't it? Dear? And she's like, well, yeah, I probably would have uh, beat her just like that. Cause the one worker got punched and jumped this lady and was just pounding on her. And the lady's like, ah, don't punch me. It's like, you just punched them. This is self-defense. You, you know, suck it up. And I'm like, that, wow. that was you at one time, wasn't it, dear? She's like, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, I love movies that are like that, where, you know, for the people that were immersed in that culture, they're getting all the Easter eggs. They're really loving the fact, oh, there's my old yeah. friend. But that the movie is good enough that people who know nothing about a lot of that can still sit down and just say, sure, I'm in for the ride, and that they enjoy because it's got a good plot. And there is heroism that doesn't matter who the heroes are. It matters that there is a conflict between good and evil and that yeah. kind of stuff. And it captures the the uh, the feel of being in the video games and stuff because you're riding a DeLorean and you, you've got yeah. the Iron Giant helping you and Chucky comes in the window. I mean, it's you know, there's a lot of everything from the Renaissance youth of ours to 
all the video games and they do it so well, both in the real world and the virtual world. And, and it takes place in Columbus, Ohio, for the most part. So and that, see, I was going to say, it's, it's kind of very funny to be like the, the image they have for Columbus in the future, not too appetizing, no, but the fact the that it really is a, a, a hub for this is where you would have, I don't know, you know, the corporation would say, where can we put 100,000 workers, <laughs> stack them up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio, I, that would fit, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I know, I know Colin's friend, Ethan, got uh, an Oculus VR, and he has been just, he, he's in college, so he's like, yeah, I have to, like, tear myself away from it. He's like, I, I have to finish my schoolwork. He's in his... Uh, going into his third year now so he's like i I gotta finish i gotta do schoolwork but man once you put the goggles on you're you're there so that's you know at that uh, boy i i have um experimented with pretty much every generation of virtual reality and augmented reality and it continues to not be quite there but the more that they make the big steps forward i'm just like i really want that world to get here while i'm still around to enjoy it you know the vr thing of being able to be like okay i'm going to fly with the pterodactyls that was an early demo reel if you will for oculus as a matter of fact and and i love seeing that but there's still enough like you move your head too quick and there's a stutter and and there's just it isn't as immersive as it has to be to have me lose myself in it what i really i think i mentioned this before i'm fascinated with the idea of augmented reality where it's like on the world and this is you know the the demon book you know d-a-e-m-o-n um and i, I never remember the guy's name i really should because i love his works um they talk about that being something coming for the future where there was a big backlash against Google glasses and maybe now Apple glasses coming up where you, people don't want to think that they're continually being on camera and uh, that you're pulling up information on them and stuff like that. But you know what? The world is heading towards that already. There's surveillance cameras already around us. It's just not as obvious right on someone's head. I really would love to have, the augmented reality that is continually feeding me information in a non-interruptive way. Right. When I'm hiking, I'd love to know the names of all the peaks. And if I look, you know, if I focus in on, oh, this tree is a birch as opposed to a beach. And yeah. I really would love to have that information at my fingertips and, and be continually fed that, but also able to dismiss it and say, clear screen, I'm just going to enjoy the concert, not you telling me about, here's the band that this guy was in before he was the bassist for, you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, I think that already with Pokemon Go, with the various different ways in which you're seeing that they take the real world. So, you know, we're going to be going to do the Sherlock Holmes um, exploration in downtown Cleveland. And some part of it is that right now it's on, you know, uh, I don't think it's augmented reality. I think it's still using uh, smartphones and so forth, but it leads you around and they've taken a real world place, downtown Cleveland, and they're going to put crime scenes and videos and you'll be able to do it as if you're really exploring what's in the library and what's on the quad and whatever else it might be i i think that it's really cool to put a skin on top of the real world and have um, additional things and maybe sometimes glorious and sometimes scary you know i i kind of worry about you know black mirror and various other shows i've already speculated about how easy it would be to screw someone's life up by having them lose track of what's real and what's not and and the prison that it could be of you just don't know you just can't trust your own eyes you know what that's that's a very spooky thought but i'm fascinated with information at your fingertips that is summonable instead of intrusive i think that would be really cool you know what i mean there was an episode (laughs) of uh mcfarland's orville 
that dealt with that where okay. uh, peep, they didn't have currency. It was all about the number of likes you have in the community. Social currency. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was that. <laughs> now the one uh, VR that I think would be great and would love to get. Now imagine this at an RG. It, it You would have to have four PlayStations because each person has to have their own PlayStation with the PlayStation goggles, but it is the Starship Enterprise bridge crew. And sure. everybody takes a position. So you have a captain, a navigator, a weapons guy, and you go on missions. Science officer. Exactly. Yes, I, yes. I, I think at an RG, there would just be people lining up to do that as a group. You know, it's like it's like a science fiction escape room. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, I've actually thought about that, that we uh, – the fact that we don't at RGs have a gaming room and not, of course, board games, but a place where they've just – networked a dozen PCs together and they're all going to go in as a party in World of Warcraft. And like, my worry is there used to be people that would go to the RG and they'd play rail games and like, that's all they would do. You right. know, they'd go into hospitality and bring some food back, but otherwise it was, they didn't interact with the other 200 right. people that were there. I worry about that being the room where the folks most addicted <laughs> would go to this room and they'd have like truckers friends under the table because they're not giving up their seats you know to go to the bathroom how human that's unnecessary you know what i mean they right. would... <laughs> you, so you, just, about... you just gave me an idea this would be great <laughs> for a group vr experience how about like a Smokey and the bandit with a convoy of truckers and <laughs> you would interesting i think yep. that would be hilariously fun <laughs> you know it, it's as we move forward it's fun to be like, even if it's rough, I want to be on the early tries of that because I want to be like, well, here's what was good and here's what didn't work. And if we improve this, it'll get better. When I've been part of those beta test programs of that, like long ago for the first Xbox, like you know, I, was, I was a beta tester. And so you're like seeing things that nobody's seen for the first time. I used to work with the, uh, not work, I knew the boys from Bungie Software. Oh, they cool. were out of Chicago and they did really cool games back then. And then they yeah. went, they were bought by Microsoft and went out to do other cool things. But to continually see someone that's like, it's not just um, evolutionary, it's what we knew before plus an extra 20%. It's like, how did they do that? Yeah. How did they get no latency? How did they get, like, it, it really is close to immersive now instead of, well, I'll make some concessions because I really want to play the game and that looks like a pretty good dragon. You know what I mean? When they, they do things, uh, we, we I went to the Apple Worldwide Developer Conference. We yes. had another thing we might talk about. And there's so much to talk about, but in brief, it, what I really love about Apple is that it is that they do incremental improvement and evolutionary things, but they also regularly do revolutionary things where it's, wow, that's like nothing I've ever seen before. Some um, either Apple or a, an independent developer created a whole new way of doing um, uh, menu management if you're going to cook at home that all the things you don't like about, well, I got to keep my tablet in the kitchen and it might get splattered and whatever, that they've found ways to make a better game, make a better database, make better tools and platforms and things. And then the, what, when people take it and run with it and do just like the best bird watching app ever, you know what I mean? A little bit what I was saying before, if I have my wonderful augmented reality glasses, I really want to be able to glance around and know what every plant and tree is, what every creature I see. Oh, that's a scarlet tanager or whatever. And that they make it so that it's the future is here right now. Right. It's just not evenly distributed. Not everybody has it yet. For you to be the one that has that thing, like 
I just think that's just the coolest thing to be um, on the cutting edge, on, on the nobody else in the world has the ability to do this. They figured it out and they're leveraging all their brilliance into this cool app. I, I'm just, um, <laughs> they, it's very heartening to continually see that, you know, Moore's law says you're going to double the number of transistors every 18 months. And that's usually equated as computer power. And that's why we keep on getting faster, better, stronger. And just that the miraculous increase in computing power has created in, in my lifetime, you know, we talk about this all the time. One of the joys of being in the tech space is regularly miracles show up. Things that <laughs> right. you, you couldn't do 20 years ago because you didn't have the computing power or the memory capacity or any number of other things. The, the, um, the math, the dedicated GPU on an NVIDIA card that can do amazing mathy things, but that affects how you do texturing in a game, how you do crypto coin mining and all that kind of stuff. I love seeing the future come to us and that have, and there's still some people that they're not just taking advantage of what we have now. They're pushing the envelope and making amazing, cool things happen. When you start to get real time babble fish, yes. like, here's an app that it just, it, you don't even have to say. You don't have uh, to put it in your ear. You don't have to put it in your ear. You, and, and I just, it, it isn't translate Spanish to English for me. I'm going to be in Spain. It has this roster of all the languages and it figures out what language it is in the first place, translates that into your base language. And then it translates what you say into the yeah, other language. It is a it translator, is. universal translator. It Like that really was an amazing science fiction that will never get here because language is tricky. Language has nuance. Language is so human. And yet you throw enough computing power at it and you throw enough uh, knowledge of linguistics and um, er languages from Chomsky. You know what I mean? That there really are how languages work, not only all the words and how they go together, but just the understanding of a language at, at, at a, um, a computational, at a, an algorithmic level. It's like reading Stephen Wolfram books where he talks about that the world is made of information and that when you get to how do you solve things is, can you get ahead of it? Can you make a P or an NP complete problem? I know I'm all over the place with, oh my God, you know, um, to, to be able to get ahead of, like, especially in the cool artificial intelligence, you know, soon I will, I will be happy to welcome my robotic overlords. <laughs> when you see things that do things faster than people can, like good translators can indeed listen to multiple languages and give you back in English and that kind of stuff, but it's not easy. They got to be totally enwrapped in doing that thing at the UN where they can't make a mistake because you don't want to insult the representative from Russia or whatever else it might be. Well, now they can have it. There's one translate for the whole room of people because it handles a hundred different languages. How amazing is that? Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about it before for any kind of augmented reality that if you're going to be in the car, you don't need to be the driver anymore because the offloading of all of those little decisions is going to be the car doing it. And right. you can spend time kind of like enjoying the sights, planning your trip, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need to maintain your crispness with caffeine and music so that you don't get in an accident, that you don't drive right. at night badly. I, I just continually love that integration of this technology into our lives we're spoiling people, you know what I mean? With they don't have to be fully, fully expert, fully responsible. They can actually have this brilliant buddy in their hand that's going to be able right. to do language translation, currency trend, all of it. It's you mentioned cool. uh, Moore's <laughs> law, and the funny thing is, I don't think that's 
as relevant and important anymore because people aren't really using the computers in their home for, with all the power. There, there's more power than needed for what 99% of the people ever do. That's and right. People do more stuff from a tablet and phone, which has a lot less computing power. But what is changing things is the fiber and the 5G and the cloud computing and the AI, because so many things are offloaded elsewhere, and we just get the data result at the end. So yeah. it's that's where you get the translation from. It's the, the cloud translating and sending just the end result back down to you. So it's really a weird thing because you know every two years or whatever you'd see these big leaps in the processing and and graphics and everything and now like i said my computer is going on 11 years old now and i don't right. have much need to upgrade it a few video things and that's it um yeah. you know so it's you, interesting yeah one of the things that apple has always been very good at is um user interaction and especially not just having it to be, um, here's the best thing we can possibly do, that it's, we're aware that the world is messy and that depending on where you go, you're gonna get a 5G connection or 4G or 3G or LTE or whatever else it might be as you deteriorate. And they have spent a lot of time thinking about what's jarring about that to people. Not, I love having my fast one, but when you have to see it negotiating, see it re-navigating when your good connection drops off and you have to go to a slower one and all of a sudden it's stuttery or weird. So they've got all kinds of things that are auto-tuning now that depending on where you are in your environment, it kind of rounds the corners of all those things so that your experience is relatively excellent everywhere and, and it does that by, like, we know how human perception works. I can drop a certain amount of sound out of music, and it still sounds okay, MP3, that kind of thing. Right. I can do compression and sampling. I can, um, just in terms of how quickly I have things, that I might not want to be at always my fastest speed on a network, because if I do have to drop back from that, it'll be noticeable. And so it's not gating, like people often then accuse, well, Apple is making sure that you, uh, uh, you know, that, that the phone dies a little bit so that you're forced to go to the next one. No, actually what it's doing is making the human experience always not only tolerable, but excellent, but in a way that you won't ever be um, kind of like um, disconcerted by having to be aware of the environment that you're in. Right. And so when it talks all about that, about how, how its embrace of 5G is still in design and in user experience different than let's just put the pedal to the metal and go as fast as we can. They're really smart. They're really smart about um, the, the data that they collect that makes the user experience really good is um, not, at least from, from, you know, I'm sure that this is the Apple converts conference and stuff like that. But, but the way they talk about it is that it really isn't, we're trying to fool anybody. It's more, we're trying to make it so that right. everyone everywhere has a great experience and everyone everywhere isn't everyone's in the heart of Manhattan versus everybody's in the heart of Namibia. You know what I mean? Right, well, right. How are we going to do that? It's, there, I, I love seeing the applied smarts. You know what I mean? Like, we want to have music sound really good everywhere. We want to have it be that you can change what device you're on and just pick up that movie or that tune that you were listening to. So they've got the cool continuity stuff from device to device, because oftentimes now people have ecosystems. And that they've always been about kind of like um, fit in but stand out, that they have a lot of things now where it really does work very well with Android or with desktop, both Windows and Macintosh, and that there's no 
um, having to only be within Apple's walled garden, a very common and in, in the past often valid complaint about, you know, you buy into Apple and you're kind of like all Apple because it doesn't, well, now they're making it that it really does work well enough. And I guess that's part of the joy of being market dominant is you can afford to integrate with others without fear that they're going to leave you. You know, if you want to have a Samsung phone, it shouldn't be that you have to do without iTunes entirely or all the cool things that go with what Apple does that it, it's kind of like all the things we've learned about. You can um, give people a taste of how good it can be. And then when they're on their device and they're like, wow, when I was on Apple, it was okay. And here I'm missing a couple features. Oh, I really kind of want to stay with Apple. You're not right. forcing anything, but you're, it, it, eliciting the comparison because you 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 integrated but didn't give away the keys to the kingdom if you will with right. all of it so there i love that there was very little about hardware this time it was about mm. the operating systems for their their macs and their phones and their tablets and their their tvs and their watches and yet in all the cool like everything having to do with health kit you know what i mean everything that in my watch is now going to be Wow, it's aware of my heartbeat and my blood sugar and my sleep patterns. Is that, like, is that huh? actually going to be the, a feature with the blood glucose check right in the watch? That they they it is not in the next version, but they they talked about here's exactly what we're trying what we're pursuing, and it's kind of funny, you know. Everything medical is very um, it's necessary to be without fail correct. Yeah. You can't just have it be, well, it was 98% correct. You can't have anybody go into a panic because you give a false reading and stuff like that. So it 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 is that they're pursuing it, but that they're having to put in the miraculous chips that are going to be able to see through your skin to monitor your bloodstream and then be able to, you know what I mean? Like the fact that you have a diagnostic machine that used to be in an office that weighed 3,000 pounds. Right. That said, it's right here on my on my TV wrist radio Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah. So... I love the fact that instead of them saying, oh, that's too hard, they got people that are working on it and they're continually, well, here's, here's the easy and then here's the hard. And we're having to take some time to figure out the hard, but it's coming because yeah. they really do continue to have those better sensors and monitors and be able to integrate it in real time. And I don't know, I, I want that, you know, given that I really do need to watch my weight, watch my heartbeat, watch my blood glucose. The fact that I really could have my, my wrist buddy here kind of like say you don't don't have that ice cream you're you here's where you are you know what i mean i i don't mind it's not nagware it's more like as it learns boy i know i'm i know i'm going on a little bit another one of the things that they do really well is customizing things to you and right. not in a oh it's watching me and oh I, i'm getting nagged to death it really does seem to always have your best uh experience your best self in mind and you can tune the level of notifications and alerts and all that kind of stuff that was a big thing this this for all the devices now they're making it so that they're trying to make it that you can choose the level of interruptivity yeah so that you really do want to have you know um an important meeting is going to happen and you can't keep lose it and so you got to keep track of it whereas someone just posted something on facebook Hardly ever. Time critical. It's much more, uh, you know, you made me look at my watch because it buzzed at me at the same time. So now they're doing different things with haptic feedback and with what appears and what doesn't appear to your various different personalized devices so that you don't have to be the guy that is continually dropping out of a conversation to check their phone, is continually glancing at their watch and making it, hey, I'm not fully paying attention to you. They're, they're really aware of the complaints that are being lodged and how do we make it so that we find the sweet spot between there really are critical things, but not everything is critical and let's right. find a way to manage all of that. 
So lots wow. of good stuff. I know I'm keeping an yeah. eye on that because I mean, I love the steps. I love the blood pressure and the heartbeats and now the oxygen sensor and all that. But really once they have the blood glucose monitoring, whichever watch comes out with that, I'm getting me one of those right away. Cause they'll still be able to do the steps. They'll still be able to do all the other stuff, but you know, that's, that's what I need monitored the most. Exactly. One of the things they talked about and in, in, in the way you're mentioning, there's all kinds of features that are really cool, but not germane to me necessarily. They have a, like a wobble monitor, you know, for a lot of people, as they get older, a fall is really a bad thing. You break a hip and you're never the same. Right. So they actually have it where you can go into like, watch me walk mode. And maybe it's always kind of doing that in the background. And when it sees you, um, walking to where you are more at risk out of tiredness, out of drunkenness. I'm not sure what the factors that might affect you, but it can be on. It'll be for all those folks that really are, um, that have to worry about that because their inner ear is going and they don't have the sense of right. balance and they're in a, whatever a place that it's not their usual route. And they, it's a terrible choppy sidewalk and they don't want to trip. It can monitor and say, here's where you need to be extra careful because we're seeing that your balance is not as it should be for your, your best walk, your best self. And so I just, you know, I'm the aging of the world, the aging of America. I really would love it to be that I knew that my, me and my parents and everybody else that I care about could have something that's a little bit of like a a service dog. Someone's going to like take care of you a little bit, you know what I mean? People start complaining. They'll start complaining when their watch detects that they're (laughs) drunk and turns on autopilot mode on the car, uh, you know. Right. Like they do, because they did used to have that, right? Where you could blow into your steering wheel and they would tell you, oh, you're blowing a point. I don't even know what the numbers are. I've never been where I got. But that's only when you've already been caught being bad and you're being punished. You know, this is like uh, uh, proactive, you know, hey, you've been drinking, your blood alcohol content's too high. Click in the autopilot mode, just pass out and go home. Uh, Actually, I love that idea. You know, there are people that are opposed to it, taking away yeah. their rights. Well, if your drunken ass hits me and I'm in the hospital, that took away my rights. That's exactly how I think of it. I really don't care about they're certain they're okay and they're going to drive home because what they're doing is they're taking their weapon out on the road and they're putting all of us at yeah. risk. And if there's a way that they have to be inconvenienced, like you need to get an Uber, lock your car and get an Uber, I'll call an Uber for you. You know what I mean? Right. That that's the functionality. Well, that's in. what the watch will do automatically. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Hey. So, as always, I, I, I know I, I really talked a lot that last 20 minutes or so. I do apologize, but no, no, the Worldwide Developer Conference, it really is just, it's very heartening. It's, yeah. I watched a prob, wow, dozens, dozens and dozens of sessions. The design award winners were everyone like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's the handiest thing I've ever seen. And every year, people are breaking new ground. So I, Thank you for letting me go on. I, oh, I, I wanted I, to hear about you know, all that. Yeah, sure others it's, do too. It's the, very heartening. You know, it three really people is. and their dog that'll listen to us. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, till next week, and and I I hope that your world calms and batters. Uh, I appreciate in the that. course of this next week and the next month. I, so. I do have two books I'm reading. I want to talk about next week because they're completely different, and I've noticed some weird differences between them. So talk about okay. those next week. So there you go. Very good. Okay. All right. right. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.